your Bible in the book of John, chapter 1, is where we're at. John, chapter 1. We want to look at verses 14 through 18. The glory of Christ. The what? The glory of Christ. These first 18 verses deal with what is known as the prologue to the book of John. And really what the prologue does, it introduces, and John really has introduced what he is planning to show to us through the remainder of this book. And uh, he has talked about a lot of things in terms of, of who Christ, who Jesus is. And as we get ready to get out of this specific section and get start getting into the actual, more of the content of the book, we're going to find out who Jesus is, what he does, and what he means and should mean to those of us who are his children. Someone has said that the book of John, and that could even be uh, 1 John, 2 John, 3 John, and the Gospel of John, are written simple enough that we can see the plain truths of the word, but also deep enough where we can find some deep theological Issues and sometimes not so much issues, but even deep, theolo deep theological thought. Uh, just in the very beginning here in the prologue, you got some very heavy, weighty issues in terms of when he talks about in verse 1, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He, Christ, Jesus, he was in the beginning with God, and all things were made and go right down through there. And uh, that's, a, that's a heavy thought to think about that. That in the very beginning, before there was even a beginning, because with God there is no beginning, because God has always been. That Jesus, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit were already in the very beginning. Whenever that beginning was, we have a beginning because we are limited by time and space. But there is no time when God has never been where he has always been. Amen. Amen. And that's kind of a thing that you think about, you go, how is that possible? That before time, before there was what we consider a beginning, God has always been. Well, we know that because of what John says. And then go back to the book of Genesis, what is being said even in the very Genesis chapter 1. In the beginning, God created. Not in the beginning, God was created, but in the beginning, God. Whenever that beginning was, that's when God created and made everything that you and I know of. But in this specific section, we want to talk about the glory of Christ. Amen? 14, eight, 14 through 18 says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son, from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about Him and cried out, This was He of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me, because He was before me. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. I like this. This is, this is a, a, a wonderful passage of Scripture because it lets us know that the word became flesh and 
dwelt among him, dwelt among us. The fact that Jesus himself, who was part of the Godhead, actually put upon himself flesh. That phrase there, and the word became flesh, doesn't mean that he was born again or, or born in the sense that he was recreated. But it has the idea that he who is God took upon himself flesh. This does not mean that God, that he ceased to be God, but that the word who is Christ entered into a new dimension. God, who is Christ, who is the word, says he became flesh. He took upon himself flesh like you and I. And I could deal with a lot of different philosophies, Gnosticism, Gnosticism, which deals with a lot of different uh, philosophies about God. Do, uh, the Gnostics believe that Jesus was just uh, like a figure or a ghost and that he actually didn't, he actually wasn't here in a visible presence, but that it was just an apparition of who he was. He really didn't eat food or, 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 or anything like that. He was just like we would consider in our movies today. He was a ghost-like figure. The Gnostics dealt with the fact that uh, they had a hard time dealing with the fact that deity could actually take on the form of flesh because they value, they, 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 their philosophy was dealing with the flesh and the body and all those different type things. And they are like, no, the fact, how can we say that God himself took upon himself flesh? Well, we can say that because of what John says, and the word became flesh. And not only did he become flesh, but he also dwelt among us. That word dwelt deals with the idea of he pitched his tent. He tabernacled. He dwelt. He lived among us. So not only did Christ take upon flesh, not only did the second person of God take upon flesh, but he also lived and dwelt and manifested himself right actually among us. And that means a lot. And then I like what John says here. He says, and, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. I don't know how, I don't know how, how many times you've actually took the time to think about Christ, God, and the glory of God, and, and all of his majesty and his power. And John tells us that not only did the word become flesh, not only did he actually live among us or tabernacled or pitched his tent among us, but he says, we have seen, we have actually, we, he says, we have seen his glory. John could talk about that because he was an eyewitness of who Christ was, case in point, when they were on the Mount of Transfiguration. And they were up there and there was Jesus and there was uh, the, the prophets and all, and they actually said, Hey, wait a minute. It's good that we're here. And God said, whoa, 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 whoa. It's not about Elijah. It's not about the prophet, but it's about my son. So he had to take away the other two characters and said, there he is. Moses, no. Moses, as great as he was, he's not the central figure. Elijah, as great a prophet as he was, he's not the central figure. It's all about my son. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. So he could say as an eyewitness, he actually saw the glory of God. And you and I can say, not that we physically have seen him, but when we can say we have beheld this glory, we can look at what God has done. Number one, we can talk about what God has done in creation. Speaks of the glory of God. I think I talked about it last week. When I see those photographs of, of space and, and, and 
There we are as the, as the earth sitting out there in the middle of all that vastness of space. And there I, I look at that picture that they take from different uh, snapshots and pictures from the, the uh, different things that have been up there. And I go, there we are, just out there in the middle of nothing. Part of that picture is somewhere on there. There I am. When I look at the seasons of the year, and we're complaining now because we, we get too much rain and People are like, we we need to slow down on the rain. But you know what? God knows what we need. I talked about uh, the other day about when we were out there driving along the road and the the cornfields were kind of low. And now because of the rain and some of the sun, a lot of fields have shot up. That all speaks to the glory of God. The pictures that you see this time of year for the 4th of July, about they take snapshots of pictures of, of different parts of the United States with over on the East Coast or the West Coast, a picture of the ocean. You take pictures in the middle, uh, middle of the country with the wheat fields, and you see the, the fields blowing in the wind and the, the wheat just blowing across. And all of those things speaks of the glory of God. When I step out at night and I look at the stars and the vastness of the space and I can see the Big Dipper and I can see uh, all those things that are up there, that speaks of the glory of God. When, when we talk about the fact that uh, every snowflake in the wintertime, each individual sn- snowflake is, is distinct in and of itself, that speaks of the glory of God. And yes, but not least, when I look at you and I, we speak of the glory of God because we are his creation. We're made by him. We've been designed by him. And that all speaks to the glory of God. He took on flesh. He came and now dwelt among us. He was actually here in flesh and he dwelt among them and he was a part of who they were. He tabernacled. He, he pitched his tent. Brother Milt, you know about this, that when you go camping, you, sp- you usually have a spot that you want to go to that you want to pitch your tent or pitch your camper to. And Jesus, in eternity, decided that he was going to pitch his tent or place his camper or actually live among us. But why would God do that? Because he had a purpose and he had a plan. He wanted to bring God and man back together. And it all all came about because it was designed not by him by himself, But it was all started by his father. The glory of glory, he says here, as of the only son from the father. He, Christ, is only one of a kind. There's no other person, no other thing like Jesus. I like the song that says, nobody but Jesus. Amen. He's distinct. He's unique. He's the Greek word is monogonase, one gene, one of a kind. There has never been, never will be anybody like his son. And he lets us know that he is full of grace and truth. And then the, the, the writer, John, the evangelist, John, who's writing this book, says, John bore witness about him and cried out, this was he of whom I said, he who comes after me race before me because he was before me. Well, who's he talking about? He's talking about what John the Baptist says. John the Baptist actually has said, and we're going to pick this up later on, but notice what he says. This was he of whom I said, he who comes after me. John the baptizer was the forerunner of Jesus. He was the one that was out in the wilderness proclaiming that there's one coming mightier than I, one whose shoes I'm not even 
capable of untying or tying up. I'm not worthy to even lace up his shoes. But notice what he says here. He who comes after me ranks before me. Though John was biologically, John the Baptist, that is, was biologically before Christ, yet he understood who Christ was. He says, but he was here before me. Before I was born, he's always been. How could he say that? He could say that because, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. He could say that because John says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was God, and the word was with God. In the very beginning, there's always been Jesus. John was just simply saying, look, he who is coming has always been. Even though he's coming and I'm not even worthy, he was before me. Amen? He was before me. For from his fullness we have received, we have all received grace upon grace. I like that. That he could acknowledge that who Christ was and the fact that from his fullness, from who, from all of who Christ is, and it's hard to figure, it's hard to comprehend his fullness, but yet we have received grace upon grace. What does that mean? That simply means that it's like the ocean, God's grace, that as the waves of the ocean come in, they just keep coming in. One comes in, one goes, as one comes in and goes out, another one's right behind it. And the idea of the picture is that God's grace is upon grace. The grace from that, the grace that you see right now, there's another grace already coming right after. It just keeps coming. Grace upon grace upon grace upon grace. God had you born at a certain time. God has watched over your life as you have lived your life. God puts food on your table. God puts clothes on your back. Back. God gives you a reasonable portion of health and strength. God watches you while you're working. God watches you while you're traveling. God watches you while you sleep. Grace, 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 grace upon grace is heaped upon us because of his fullness of who he is. Grace is God giving to us what we do not deserve. What makes you and I think that we deserve to wake up this morning? Hmm? What is it? Nothing but God's grace. Because make no mistake, somebody somewhere did not get up. But God in his grace, his grace to allow your eyes to pop up and pop open. That's one grace. The other grace was right after your eyes pop open, the ability to say, oh, stretch out. That's another grace. The, the other grace, keep, God's grace keep coming. What? I opened my eyes. I was able to see, oh, okay, it's daylight now. It's whatever time it was. That's grace. The ability to put my foot out of my, crawl out of my bed, that's another of God's grace. The ability to put one foot in front of the other is another example of God's grace. Grace upon grace. The ability of you to sit here right now hearing the sound of my voice is God's grace. And in a few moments, whatever happens, that's God's grace. Grace upon grace upon grace. That's about God's fullness of who God is. John says, hey, follow, you understand what I'm trying to tell you? For from his fullness of all who God is. And then he manifested that in his son, Jesus Christ. Christ is the, the light. God is the illuminator. And we're going to learn here in a few moments. God is the exegete. God is, uh, Christ is the exegete, the explainer of who God is. Somebody says, show me God. 
And I can show you God. I can show you God in creation, but I can also show you God in who Christ is. And either you accept it by faith or you don't. And he says here, verse 17, for the law, that imperfect example, he says in verse 17, for the law was given through Moses. That's true. The law was given to Moses, right? But there was a problem. He says, for the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. The law was the pointer. The law was the accuser. The law said, hey, this is, this is the law of God. Boom, boom, boom. But the, law, but the law could not give grace. The law was very rigid. If you didn't do it, you faced the consequences. Which is why when I look at us as a church, as believers today, we ought to be rejoicing every time we have the opportunity to celebrate who Christ is because of his grace. I just told you what his grace was. The fact that you and I have no control over what happens to us, but it's all about God's grace. Ought to be, we ought to be celebrating who he is. Maybe the problem with us is we don't understand fully what God is doing for us in the person of his son. It's like having the benefits of an insurance policy, and you go out and pay for something, and then they say, well, you know, you really don't have to pay for that. You're covered for that in your insurance policy. I mean, some of you might have it, and if you don't, that's fine. But in a lot of insurance policies, if you go out and rent a car, you don't have to pay for the insurance that they try to push on you to buy. Talk to your insurance agent. He might say, well, no, you don't have to buy that because you're covered in the Insurance policy that you have. Why well, spend money for something that you already got? And that's what with a lot of us. We understand what Christ has done and who he is and who God, and he's explained to us who the Father is, then we should be rejoicing and celebrating and, and being excited about the things of, of God. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. He is the grace and he is the truth. You want to know the truth? Every time I hear that word truth, I think of that line in uh, the movie. You know, uh, what's his name? Yeah. Jack Nicholson. You, know, you want the truth? No, you don't want the truth because you like, can't handle the truth. And a lot of times the truth of God's word reflects to us who we actually are. And sometimes we don't look as good or as pretty as we think we look. You know, you go out of the house thinking you're looking cute and fine. And you're walking through the neighborhood and walking in the church and somebody goes, <clears throat> excuse me, you've got some toilet paper hanging out of the back of your... <laughs> oh, my God. You, you know, we walk like, hey, I look pretty good today. Didn't check everything out. Didn't, you know, as you step in the mirror, you should probably follow like, okay, yeah, cool. That's how we are with the good word of God. His word shows us who we are. And sometimes that picture isn't as pretty as we think it should be. I think I'm all right. I'm not, and here's how we do it. We try to explain it by saying we're not as bad as. Well, I'm not as bad as Byron. He's messed up. You know, Pastor, he's, he's, he's really messed up. You're right, I am messed up. I said, I'm not going to deny that, but guess what? We're all messed up. If I'm the comparison by which you compare yourself to, you got a, you got a problem. 
compare yourself to Christ. And when you and I compare ourselves to Christ, then we find ourselves waiting the balances and come up wanting. Don't ever compare yourself with somebody down here. I'm not as bad as because I don't do this. I'm not as bad as because I haven't done that. Well, the old timers used to tell us, you know, the reason why some of us haven't done some things is because we just haven't lived long enough. Or we haven't been in the right circumstances where we might do some things. You know, Peter never thought he would deny Christ. He said he wouldn't until the circumstance presented itself. And then the very words that Jesus told him, you're going to deny me. Not once, but three times. Never. Never. Lord, I won't. You know, he's in the garden. Click the sword. Cut off the servant's ear. Peter thought he was. I got your back no matter what. Life and circumstances. Before the cock crows three times, you, Peter. But here's the good news. Don't you love God? Don't you love the word? Don't you love God? Even though Jesus even told Peter he's going to do that, he also told Peter something else. Oh, by the way, Peter, strengthen the brethren. Peter, so lovest thou me, feed my sheep. The same Peter that denies who Christ was is the same Peter who the Lord allowed to feed his sheep and his lambs. It's the same Peter that on the day of Pentecost spoke up and told the people together, oh, I want you guys to know something. This Jesus who is being proclaimed to you today, this one who you, you crucified and killed, this Jesus is the one that's going to give the resurrection and the life that anybody that believes in him will be saved. So you can mess up. But many times we do mess up, but God still what? Uses us, not to our glory, but to his. No one has ever seen God. No, not God himself. Moses tried to ask God that in Genesis 33 and verse 18. He said, God, let me, show me yourself. And God said, oh, no, 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 no. No, I can't do that, Moses. Just check, check out that story in Genesis 33, verse 18. He tried. But no, God said, I'll tell you what. I'll forgive who I'll forgive, and I'll give grace to who I'll give grace. And by the way, I will put you in the cleft of the rock of this mountain. I'll, I'll tuck you in behind. Which meant he couldn't just be by, out there by himself. God had to put him in, in, in a, a place where he says, when I go by, you'll only be able to see my back. And God went by and Moses. That's all he could take because nobody can take the actual vision and, and visualization of who God is. And then in Job chapter uh, 17, I think it is. No, chapter 11, verse 7. Job asked a question about can you and I find out the deep things of God. You know what? If you try to figure out who God is, you'll drive yourself nuts. I mean, why, God? Why? Why? I don't understand. What are you doing? God, why? 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 Just keep that up. Just some things you got to say, Lord, I am in your hands. I am your servant. I am your child. And I trust you with my life. And though I may not understand all the circumstances that have happened in my journey, be it 
20 years, be it 40, 50, 60, 70, 15, 19, whatever it is. Though I don't understand all the particulars of this journey, I trust you. Why is it we can trust every other thing but the Lord himself? We can put our faith and trust in people, and people will let us down. We can put our faith and trust in a doctor, and he can let us down. We can put our faith and trust in our wife or our husband, and they will let us down. We can put our faith and trust in our job, and our job can leave us. We can put our faith and trust in a lot of things, and in the scheme of life, those things are only temporary. But the Lord, who is the eternal God himself, who knows the beginning and the ending, who was here even before there was a beginning, he knows everything about us, and yet we're not able to put our trust in him because we can't figure out what he's doing, because we don't understand. God, I don't know what you're doing, but God, I, need to, I just need to see. Show me. Give me a sign. I'll know I'm supposed to do this if you do this. You do this, then I'll, I'll do it. It's better to do what the Lord says by faith, trusting in him, than asking him to give you a sign for you, before you and I step forward. Abraham, by faith, started his journey, not knowing where he was going, but he trusted God because God said, I have a place for you, Abraham. But when Abraham started his journey, he didn't have... A GPS that said turn left here and turn right there and go six blocks and, and a mile and a half here. He didn't have all that. He just took God at his word. And that's what he wants us to do. No one has ever seen God, the only God. But who is at the Father's side? Who better to explain, who better to exegete, who better to show who God is than he who is at his side? Who's at the side of God the Father? None other than who? Jesus. After he was crucified, after he was buried, and when he got up, and when he went up to go back to his father, what does the word says, says, tells us? He is now seated at the right hand of God the Father. He's all, he was there before he died. He was there after he died, and he's still there. Who better to explain who the Father is than the person that's sitting right there by his side? Amen? I mean, makes sense to me that if anybody's going to explain who God is, it's got to be somebody that is sitting and has an intimate relationship with him. Question, are you and I willing to be that intimate with the Lord. How intimate do you want to be? Maybe that's a better question to ask. How close do you and I want to be to the Lord? Hmm? Some of us have a distance. We, we don't want to get too close to God. <laughs> oh, no, 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 Pastor. I don't want to get too close. Why is that? Because if I get too close, he may ask of me to do something I'm not wanting to do. Oh, God, you stay right there. And I'm, I may want to be, I, I'll stay right here. That's cool. I gotta, like your embers, I'll get a little heat, just enough to, you know, I can feel it. 
I don't want to be here where the heat, like we have our uh, uh, fall party. You remember the little hot dogs we stick in the thing and people get down there and they go, oh, my God, whoo, it's hot. Man, brothers, you, you got this fire going. Well, yeah, the closer you get to the source, the more heat is thrown out. And many of us don't want to get close to God because the heat is too much. And he may ask of us what we're not willing to give up. So rather than be close, we say, oh, I can feel some of the heat, so I know I'm all right. So, yeah. Oh, yeah, I see the fire. Yeah, I know there's heat. I see the little vapors going up, the little things burning. Yeah, cool, I'm good with that. That's not what he says. He says he's at his father's side. Amen? He's at his father's side. And because of that, he has made him known. Not we have to think about it, but we can know. We can know the glory and the wonder of who Christ is and what he means to me. What does it mean to me? What does all this mean? He said, you can know the Lord, you can know who God is in a real personal way. Number two, when we see all that he's done, we can see his love for us and his redemption of us. This guy that did all of this from verse 1 to verse 18 is about bringing me back to God. And what great lengths he has went to to buy back me from the clutches of sin so that sin no longer has to reign in me, but now I belong to him. But that can only be done in the, in the, in the glory of, of who Christ is. This, this whole thing about the glory of Christ is he's the only one that can do it. Think about his glory. Think about his majesty. Think about his greatness. There's only one that could do it, and he was sent by his father to do that for a little old me. When I look at what God has done, I do not deserve anything that he's ever done for me let alone pay my salvation. And I can know this great God, this God that John talked about that was in the beginning, this God who was talked about in Genesis chapter 1, this God who's talked about from Genesis 1 all the way through, this God who's been displayed for us through the person of his son and through his manifestations of his power, I can know this God by the relationship that I can have in his son. I mean, that blows me away that now God doesn't want to just tabernacle in wood and stone. But now God, through the power of the Holy Spirit, wants to actually pitch his tent, wants to actually live in you and I. That's pretty heavy. No longer is he talking about showing his Shekinah glory in the tabernacle, which they had in the Old Testament, that was a visible display of where God, God would show up at the tabernacle and visibly show his power. That's Old Testament. New Testament is now he wants to show his power in us. 
And if you're saved today and you know Christ today and you have the Holy Spirit of God in your life today, you and I are to be a visible manifestation. God actually lives in you and in me. Wow. I don't know how we can just sit here and just like, okay, Pastor, he lives in me, so what? <laughs> really? That's how we, that's, that's, that's what we're going to do to God? He ain't no biggie to me. So he lives in me. What does that mean? Really? Man, the fact that God's in me and God is in you, and we come together, God in you ought to be the God in me. We can only have fellowship when we have each other in the spirit of Christ. Amen? I mean, does that not mean anything to any of us? Maybe not. Maybe that shows the state of our affairs. But he is at the Father's side, has made him known. I can know God for myself. I can know God because of not only what he has done in me, but what I can see him doing in you. Amen? The glory of the Lord, the glory of Christ. The more I look at Christ, the more I see less of myself. And the more I say, Lord, I need you more now than I ever needed you before. And if you're here today and do not know Jesus in the free pardon of your sin, in other words, you're a sinner, you, you never have said, you know what, I need to come to this great God. How can I do that? You can do that by accepting his son. And say, explain to me, show me the way to know this Christ you're talking about. His very name. And I close on this. What did the angels say when the shepherds were out in the field? His name shall be called Emmanuel, which being interpreted means what? God with us. His name talks about his glory. Emmanuel, God with us. Father, we thank you for your word. Help us, Lord, to catch a glimpse of who you are. Help us to be excited about the things of God. We can show excitement in all other areas. We get excited about a vacation. We can get excited about things. We can get excited about a day off. We can get excited about somebody coming to visit us. We, we get excited about the things that mean the most to us. But for some reason, the things of God, the Word of God, the Son of God, does not seemingly create a sense of excitement and anticipation. And we have a hard time glorifying you and have a hard time of being able to see who you are in the fullness of your son. No matter how much you continue to do for us, it's like we have blinders. We're only partially willing to open the shades of our life because we don't want the brightness to come in and overwhelm us. Blind us by your power that we might see.
who you are. We thank you for this, for the encouragement of your word. In Christ's name we pray.